This morning we'll be in Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19, please, and we'll be reading verses 1 through 5. Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 5. And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. And finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, Into what then were you baptized? So they said, Into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. In 2011, we have desired to dig deeper, to put roots down in the belief that by doing so we will bear fruit up. And we're basing that on Isaiah chapter 37 and verse 31, which we've taken as kind of a theme verse for the year. Isaiah 37, 31 says, The remnant who have escaped to the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. And so we're using that as a launching pad. We're we're using that because we want to push our roots down. We want to dig deeper in our relationships with one another here at Friendship Bible Church. We, we want to love one another more biblically. Because we believe that the deeper the roots, the higher the fruits. That's one reason we have so many activities and opportunities in this little church. And that's why we encourage you to spend time with your Christian brothers and sisters here. Softball is not about softball. It's about digging deeper into our relationships with one another. Ladies' night out, or men's prayer breakfasts, or pastor's master's golf outings, or campfire fellowships, all of these are about putting roots down into the relationships we have with one another. And frankly, it shouldn't stop with the organized activities here. I wonder, have you invited any of your church brothers and sisters to your home? Have you accepted invitations to theirs? Have you, have you sat down around your, your kitchen table with them? Have you participated and shared and served together with them? You see, we need to keep digging deeper in these areas. Well, we also want to put roots down deeper into our walk within relationship with God. We want to know our God more and better. And again, because we believe that the deeper the roots, the higher the fruits. And that's why we've been studying systematically the book of Nehemiah on Sunday mornings. Next week, if God allows, we will be in chapter 6, so read ahead and be ready. But that's why also, on alternating Lord's Days, we've been digging deeper into various topics that are central and that we need to be clear on and achieve clarity in, that we as a church need to be united in our understanding of. And so this morning, we're going to do that. We're going to dig deeper into a topic today. In a few minutes, we're going to be baptizing. And so I want to take the opportunity that that affords and use that topic this morning and dig deeper into the topic of baptism. After all, it is a topic, is it not, that many people hold very shallow views on. It is a topic that's surrounding which there is much confusion. I read a story once, I don't know if it's true or not, but you never know about these things, whether or not they're really based in truth, but the story is told of uh, the baptism of King Angus by St. Patrick sometime in the middle of the 5th century. And according to this story, sometime during the baptismal rite, St. Patrick leaned on his sharp-pointed staff, and as he did so, he inadvertently placed that staff on the king's foot and stabbed him in the foot. 
after the baptism was over, St. Patrick happened to look down and he noticed there was blood all over the floor. And realizing what he had done, he begged the king's forgiveness. And he, he looked at him somewhat quizzically and he said, why did you suffer such pain in silence? And the king replied, I thought it was part of the ritual. You see, the king was a little confused about just what baptism is supposed to be, and I believe many are, even, even today, just as confused. Many questions, many disagreements exist over this matter of baptism. Questions like, at what age should baptism be for, performed? Questions like, does a person need to be totally immersed, or, or is sprinkling okay, as some churches practice? Questions like, if a person is immersed, are they to be immersed one time backward or three times forward? You know, we practice in this church that we, we baptize we place the person backwards in the water. Uh, some churches, some believe that it needs to be three times forward, which is right. Questions like, is the formula in the name of Jesus or in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost? Which are we to say and does it matter? Uh, questions like, what about babies? Are we supposed to baptize babies? There's a big question. And of course, most importantly, the most important question that arises around the matter of baptism is, does it save me? Does it save us? or not. If I die having not been baptized, will I go to hell? And if I am baptized, does it assure me that I'm going to go to heaven? Now one result of all this confusion is that some people just set it aside. Baptism, which is clearly taught as an important thing in the Bible, becomes unimportant, becomes ignored, or sometimes even ridiculed. And those believers who take that mindset or following a similar thought process to a very famous atheist one time, Robert Ingersoll, who said, with soap, baptism is a good thing. Of course, he was making fun. And I beg to differ with the wicked Mr. Ingersoll and his atheist views, or anybody else who would believe the same thing. You see, the fact is, the Bible teaches baptism is a good thing with or without soap. Baptism is an important thing, and it's a thing that all Christians should understand and should practice. Consider our text this morning, and take note of the wonderful illustration it contains, an illustration of exactly what we're about to witness here today. We just read about it in the first five verses of Acts chapter 19. There, there was a group of people who, once they understood the truth, wanted to be baptized, and were. In just a few minutes, we're going to rejoice with a little sister who has trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as her Savior and Lord. And she now desires to follow him in believer's baptism. Glory to God. Before we come to that time of rejoicing, though, I want us to dig just a little deeper into what it means. And, and we're going to do that by looking at just three words to guide us today. Three words which will guide our thoughts and our discussion. The first word is definition. The second word is timing. The third word is purpose. Definition, timing, purpose. Consider, first of all, the definition. The definition. I, I, I submit that there's just no need to spend a whole lot of time on this, for there are a few things clearer in the Bible than the definition of this word, baptize. To baptize a person is to immerse them in water. That is the clear definition of the word. Let me say it again. To baptize a person is to immerse them in water. Now let me, let me say, just as an aside today, the topic of today's message is water baptism, not baptism in the Holy Spirit, which is another subject you'll hear discussed from the Bible from time to time. We'll save that for another day. We're not talking about that today. Water baptism is our topic. And water baptism is immersion in water. The Greek word from which we get our word baptize in our English Bibles, it comes from a Greek word, which is the, the word baptizo, 
And the word baptizo means literally this. It means, number one, to dip repeatedly, to immerse, to submerge. It is used of vessels that are sunk at sea. Number two, it means to cleanse by dipping or submerging, to wash, to make clean with water, to wash one's self or to bathe. Number three, it means to overwhelm. If you have taken the FBC 101 class, you know we spent a lot of time on this topic. We have a whole class related to this, our whole uh, class session related to this, because it's important. You see, words mean something. Words mean something. If the Holy Spirit used a word that means to immerse in water, to completely submerge in water, then I humbly suggest that is exactly what the Holy Spirit meant. Submerge, immerse in water. Flip with me uh, back a few pages in your Bible, if your Bible is still open to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. And let's just read a few verses here from what I believe is one of the classic passages in your Bible about baptism. Acts chapter 8 and verse 35. We'll start in the middle of the story. This is the story of the, of the Ethiopian eunuch and Philip, the evangelist, preaching to him, witnessing to him, winning him to Christ. And then baptizing him. Verse number 35, Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way, rejoicing. Aside from the clear meaning of the word baptizo, which requires that the eunuch was completely submerged here, notice the imagery of this text. Here's a picture of a New Testament baptism. Here's a picture of a person who is being baptized. And notice the imagery of the text. Both of them went down into the water. If we're just honest with ourselves and look at that, we cannot help but really come away with any other honest uh, interpretation of this passage but that it was a baptism by immersion. Alexander Campbell was uh, one of the founders of the Restoration Movement from which the Disciples of Christ denomination sprang. This church up until just a few years ago was a part of that denomination until the church made the decision to separate themselves from that group and reorganize as Friendship Bible Church. But Alexander Campbell used to, uh, because of the fact that he believed that, uh, that, that there was confusion around the word baptism, he, or baptize and baptism, he, would, um, he, he refused to use that word. He would use the word immerse. And when he would baptize somebody, as we're going to do in just a moment, as he would lower them in the water, he'd say, I immerse you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I immerse you. And silly arguments and sparring broke out between Campbell and his Baptist brethren. He had come out of the Baptist movement. Uh, silly arguments came because they insisted on the word baptize. He insisted on the word immerse. And it's silly because they're both exactly the same word. The definition of the word baptism is immerse. So there's our first word definition. Let's look at our second word, timing. Timing. I saw a gospel tract one time and it was entitled, What Does the Bible Teach About Infant Baptism? And I, I saw that and I thought, well, this will be interesting. So I grabbed that, that, uh, that gospel tract and I opened it up and kind of chuckled to myself, because when I opened it up, it was completely blank inside. Nothing. And it's absolutely accurate, because the fact is, the Bible does reveal nothing, teaches nothing, about infant baptism. It's a fiction made up by men. I spent some time one time with a, with a brother who believes differently, uh, a pastor from the area, 
Uh, I was having breakfast with him, and he believes very much in infant baptism. It's a big deal with him. And he boldly proclaimed it and sat, spent half the breakfast trying to, trying to convince me of the, uh, of the, uh, the fact of his, uh, of his position, I guess. And I said, well, why don't you just show me an example in Scripture? Can you show me an example in Scripture of, them in, of baptizing babies? And, and uh, you know, he would, he would rabbit trail off a different way, or he'd come up with some other different theological argument, but he could not, of course, give me a single example because they're not there. There are none that exist. Baptism is only biblical baptism if it takes place as a result of saving faith. In other words, it has to happen after a person places their faith in Christ. Now listen. Listen to me, my friends. Remember, a person is not born believing in Jesus Christ. We're born lost. We only get saved when we understand that lost condition, repent of that sin, and believe that Jesus Christ paid the price for our sin. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 says, As by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. You and I inherited a sin nature from our great-great-great-great-great-granddaddy Adam. Just as the, the song Amazing Grace says, I once was lost, but now I'm found. All of us were lost and had to be saved. And only after we have been saved is it biblical baptism for us to be baptized. In witnessing to others, we oftentimes ask the question, when did you become a Christian? When were you saved? And sometimes we'll hear the response. I, I hear this once in a while. Well, I've always been saved. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, folks. Whenever I hear that, if that's your testimony this morning, whenever I hear that, I have to assume in my heart and in my mind that that, that, that person is not saved. Because that person obviously does not understand the transactional aspect of the thing. There has to come a change. There has to come a conversion. We used to use that word more than we do today. There has to come a conversion, a point of going from lost to saved. And baptism, to be biblical baptism, cannot occur until after that. Notice, Philip was extremely clear in this. Uh, the Ethiopian said, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? Let, let's, let's do it. Let's do it right now. And Philip said, wait a minute. You can only be baptized if you are saved. Notice verses 35. And following, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. Not unless you believe can you be baptized. So we've seen the definition, we've seen the timing, and finally, number three, we've seen the purpose. Let's look at the purpose. Why do we baptize? Well, the first question we have to ask ourselves this morning is probably the most important one. Let's get it out of the way right at the beginning. Do we baptize in order to save? In other words... When I am baptized, does it save me? And I, I want to be as absolutely clear on this point as I can. The answer to that is an unequivocal no. No, baptism does not save the soul. A person who is not baptized, uh, or a person who is baptized, is not guaranteed of heaven, and a person who has not been baptized is not necessarily denied heaven. Baptism just has nothing to do with salvation. It's not part of what we might call the formula for salvation that we see all throughout the Bible. Acts 16.31 says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Romans 10.13, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Romans chapter 10, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Ephesians chapter 2, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. John chapter 3 and verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. John chapter 3 and verse 18, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. None of those verses, which talk so plainly about what we must do in order to come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, none of those verses speak of baptism. If you don't know this morning whether you go to heaven when you die, 
If you are un unsure whether you have ever been saved, the answer to your dilemma is not found in the pool of water behind me, but it's found at the foot of the cross. You need to go to Jesus, and you need to tell him you're lost. You need to ask him for the gift of salvation that he offers you. You need to take it and be saved. You need to take it, and it will be yours forever. Of those he saves, Jesus said, I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Believing, believing, that's what saves. Trusting, accepting, receiving Christ, but not baptism. Baptism does not save. There are... There are many who have trusted Christ and never followed him in baptism who will experience the joys of heaven. And there are many who have, had, who have been very, very, very wet in the baptismal pool but never trusted Christ in the first place and to die in such a state is to split hell wide open. Of course you know the classic explanation, illustration that we have in scripture of this and that's the thief on the cross. The thief on the cross, who in Luke chapter 2 said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus replied, Truly I say to you today, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. For those who want to believe that we must be baptized in order to be saved, I always want to ask them, well, why didn't Jesus say to this man, you know, I'd love to help you, my friend, but, but you know what, here's the story, I've pinned up here on this cross, I can't move my hands, I can't get down, I can't get to the baptismal pool, if only I could get you wet, if only I could dip you in some water, I could help you out, but sorry. Since you can't be baptized, you can't go. No, that's not what he said. He said today. Today. So baptism does not save. So what then is the purpose for baptism? If that is not it, why do we baptize? Well, a couple of things here, maybe, maybe three, that I'll mention and we'll be done. We baptize to identify. To identify. Jesus was baptized by John, whose baptism was meant to indicate repentance from sin. A person who followed uh, in that baptism, who went down into the waters of John's baptism, was saying, I identify myself with sinners, I, uh, and I repent of my sin. And we have to ask, did Jesus have any sin? And of course the answer is no. But what Jesus was doing was identifying himself with sinners through baptism. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says an amazing thing. It says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. But God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. And so Jesus, as he was being baptized by John, was identifying himself with us Sinners. God, with us, was being pictured in that entire thing. And in the same way, in the same way I would suggest to you that the Christian identifies him or herself with Christ in baptism. We speak often of making a public profession of faith. We say, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. We need to let others know that we are part of the family now. But I think scripturally baptism is that public identification. I think it is baptism where we say to all, I am a Christian. And I demonstrate it by following him in this right. You know, I wear a wedding ring on my left hand, third finger of my left hand, just like, like many of you do. A lot of us wear wedding rings. But you know, the amazing thing is wearing that wedding ring does not make me married. Anybody could wear a wedding ring. However, it does tell the world, does it not, that I am married. It identifies me with my wife. We baptize to identify. Another reason we baptize is we baptize to symbolize. To symbolize. Romans chapter 6 says this, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Paul said to the Colossians 
in Colossians chapter 2, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. Now think of the symbolism that we see in those two verses. Both of those verses tell us that as we go down into the water, it is a picture of being buried, dying and buried uh, with Christ. And we even say, as we lower somebody into the water, at least I do when I baptize, I, I, I kind of go back and, and reference Romans chapter 6. And as I lower somebody down into the water, I say, buried with him in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life. And so as we lower the body down into the water, it is a picture, is it not? It is a symbol, is it not? Of the fact that we have died in him, that we have died with him. Uh, uh, in his death we died and, and, and we are buried with him in baptism and as we come back up out of the water is it not a picture of the glorious resurrection that we have in him and the eternal life that we have and I love, I love the symbolism the songwriter said it like this dying with Jesus by death reckoned mine living with Jesus a new life divine and that's what it pictures dying with him living with him and finally we baptize to obey to obey our final reason obey. Wayne Grudem in his book on Bible doctrine said this, quote, he said, our justification from sins takes place at the point of saving faith, not at the point of water baptism, which usually occurs later. But if a person is already justified and has sins forgiven eternally at the point of saving faith, then baptism is not necessary for forgiveness of sins, nor for the bestowal of new spiritual life. Baptism, then, is not necessary for salvation. We've been saying that, have we not? But, he goes on, but, it is necessary if we are to be obedient to Christ. For he commanded baptism for all who believe in him. And so we baptize to obey. I take a very strong stand on this, and our, our Friendship Bible Church takes a strong stand on baptism. We, 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 we have it as a requirement for membership here. That a person be not only saved, born again, but also biblically baptized. And you know, I've had some painful interviews with people who don't accept or understand uh, why their previous sprinkling was not sufficient. Some have even chosen to go elsewhere as a result. And so maybe you ask, why make such a big issue of it? Why, why not just get along with the crowd? Why, why consider baptism as such a big deal? And I would have to answer because of things like what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28 when he came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's our great commission. It's our marching orders. It's our orders. It's a command. And did you see the word baptize in there? Baptizing them. Baptizing them. Baptizing them is a command. If the church is commanded to baptize new believers, what does that mean to the new believers? Are they not also commanded to be baptized? It's a command. Spurgeon said, I always love to read Spurgeon. Spurgeon said, a thing which looks to be unreasonable and seems to be unprofitable, but being commanded by God, is law. Is law to me. If my master had told me to pick up six stones and lay them in a row, I would do it, without demanding of him what good will it do. Qui bono is no fit question for soldiers of Jesus. The very simplicity and apparent uselessness of the ordinance should make the believers say, well, therefore I do it because it becomes the better test to me of my obedience to my master. 
When you tell your servant to do something and he cannot comprehend it, if he turns around and says, what for? You are quite clear that he hardly understands the relation between master and servant. So when God tells me to do a thing, if I say, what for? I cannot have taken the place which faith ought to occupy, which is that of simple obedience to whatever the Lord hath said. Baptism is commanded, and faith obeys because it is commanded, and thus takes her proper place. End quote. I am constantly convicted by, every time I come across this verse in my reading, I'm convicted by Luke chapter 4, or chapter 6 and verse 46, which says, Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? And how does a person justify proclaiming their allegiance to Christ, but refusing the very first step, the very first command that he gives? No, we need no other argument. We need no other plea. Our Lord commanded it to be. That's good enough for me. So we baptize to obey. Well, what does this mean to you and I? Well, quite simply, it means that those who have trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord should be baptized by immersion after salvation. Just as we saw took place in our text, Acts chapter 19, verse number 5, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. I, I, let, me, let me just share my personal experience with you in closing this morning. You know, I was saved when I was 12. Right here in this church. I had been baptized as a baby in the Episcopal Church because that was my upbringing. That was where my parents and, and, uh, and relatives had attended. And on May 3, 1970, I learned from the good preaching of Pastor Roy Keener right here in this church that that previous baptism, and I'll put that in quotes because as we have already seen, it doesn't fit the definition of the word. It doesn't fit the Bible. I had, but I came to learn in listening to the preaching uh, from the Bible, that, you know, that, that, that wasn't sufficient. I needed to obey Christ. I, need, I needed to be saved, first of all. And then once I had been saved, I needed to be obedient to the matter of baptism. And so I was. I, I, I was baptized by immersion. At the time, there was no baptistry in this building. This church used to take uh, new converts up to the Christian church in Ravenna there on Prospect Street. And, and they were kind enough to let us use their baptistry. And, and I remember very well the confusion of my Episcopal relatives standing in the parking lot as we were preparing to go in, preparing for that service. And I remember them looking at me with confusion and saying, why, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? You've already been baptized. But the fact is, I have not been baptized. Certainly not scripturally. And I wanted to obey my newfound Lord and King. This morning, at least one is going to take that same stand. And blessings upon her for her example and her obedience to the Lord. Do you know this morning you can do the same? You can do the same if you never have. Are you a Christian? Do you have no doubt that you've trusted Jesus Christ and are born again, but, but, but you have never followed the Lord in believer's baptism? Is that you? Let me encourage you this morning. Step out. In just a moment we're going to sing. And as we sing our hymn of invitation today, why don't you just step out? And step forward and say, you know what, that's me. It describes me. I have trusted Christ. I'm saved. I'm on my way to heaven. If I were to die today, I know I'm going straight there. But yet I have not. I have not done business with God in this one place. I have not been obedient to the matter of baptism. And I would like to be today. If you do that, we're going to ask you a question. We're going to ask you just like Philip asked the Ethiopian eunuch, do you believe with all your heart? Are you trusting? We're going to examine you just a little bit on that. But if the answer is yes, you too can know the joy that our little sister is going to know in just a moment of being baptized 
and getting that right with God. Well, let's pray.